Hello, Breakers, and welcome to the 49th episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior, and I am here with my co-host and sadly tragic victim of chronic banjo player blindness, John Whitten. I normally have some sort of idea where you're going when, when you hit me with these intros. I, I have a sense of what this might be referring to, or at least the world we might be in. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. But what? Well, last episode, mm. you talked about hearing a fabulous version of Foggy Mountain Breakdown played by Kelly Clarkson. Oh, dear. Yes. And after a brief round the houses, you corrected yourself that it wasn't Kelly Clarkson. It wasn't. And that it was Kelly Osborne. <laughs> it was. Well, except it wasn't Kelly Osborne. It was. <laughs> Who is possibly the least wholesome child of the least wholesome Brummy metal singer ever. Wait, wasn't it? No, it's Willow Osborne, oh. the altogether wholesome banjo picker from Tennessee. Okay. <laughs> Any relation? Or have I just got this entire story completely wrong? I don't think so. So is the entirety of this story a lovely banjo player played a lovely piece of banjo music? Yes. Very well. Is that is that actually everything that's gone on? As far as I can see, yes. From a very early age. Oh dear. <laughs> we are misinformation. Mm. Right. Okay. Well, so today I'm the one learning from Project Studio Team <laughs> But otherwise, have you earned your tea break, John? Well, I'm feeling dreadfully sorry for myself, so I think that ought to count. Oh. Not only because I'm being called out on my lack of kind of bluegrass and country knowledge, <laughs> but my trusty and much beloved SM58 has given up the ghost. Hang on. I know. I mean, surely there's got to be some kind of an achievement award there. How do you <laughs> kill an SM58? Well, this is, of course, the beautiful irony. SM58's famously indestructible... But haven't you ever seen those videos? I mean, surely we've had that. No, we have. I think we might have talked about that in our very, very first episode of Project Studio Tea Break, where we were talking about Mike's for Melee. Oh my goodness, I'd forgotten about Mike's for Melee. Those videos where they, like, run over an SM58 with a truck yeah. and, and bury it in earth for a year and, and run it under the tap and hammer a nail in with it, and it still works. And it sounds great. How did you do it? Well... <laughs> Of course, I have been living hard and loose with this SM58 for, God, six, seven years now. And I toss it into hand luggage or soft hold luggage. And yeah. the number of times I've badly adjusted a mic stand and everything's just sort of fallen down. And it has. It's put up with it just fine. And of course, what eventually killed it yeah. was sitting quietly on my desk for about a week. <laughs> I used it. I have the recording from the last use. It sounded great. And then I left it quietly sitting on an indoor desk in a temperate climate. And one week later, I came back and nothing. Basically, its life had become so unrock and roll that it lost the will to live. Well, okay, that is certainly <laughs> one way of looking at it. And I, I welcome your dark interpretation. But no, what I choose to believe is because I, I bought it used as well. Okay, right. So after a long, full and completely unkillable life, mm. it passed gently in its sleep. I like that. That is a lovely interpretation. I think it's a bit nicer than your desperate sadness suicide into Shouldering the shame of it being yes. the least rock and roll member of its race. Well, I prefer mine to yours, which simultaneously shames me <laughs> and my lifestyle and my music. So, mm. yeah, let's go for the moment with mine. Well, I can imagine you must be in mourning. I am. It's, it's got it's before nine. <laughs> that was a clever little pun. Um, and the first of this new microphone. Now, I knew the SM58 
58 could take bad humour. I was going to say, you've got to be careful. Slightly nervously watching the cradle of this one. <laughs> you've got it in its pun-proof cradle. <laughs> I do, I do. And that one rocked it. i got to be honest, it's kind of swinging back and forth on that. The self-pity and, and need for a pity cup of tea does not end there, though. Oh! Because having borrowed this lovely mic that you hear me on now from the inimitable Rick, thank you, Rick, I, um, I was offered a mic stand, and I said, oh, thanks so much. I've got my own, mm. which is true. I have a lovely desk-mounted kind of podcasty stand, which I swear by because it doesn't get in the way and you can just pull it around for different instruments. Oh, the kind of angle poisey thing. Exactly, an angle poise lamp with a mic on the end. Oh, yes. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Right until the point that two of the springs snap at the same time. Oh, no! And it becomes no. completely unusable. I mean, surely you can get replacement springs for it. Oh, I'm sure you can. And if they'd snapped any other time except for about an hour ago... <laughs> Um, I would be speaking to you now on a simply and easily repaired angle poise mic stand. Instead, almost appropriately, yes, I am holding the kind of <laughs> rim stem of this cradle exactly as one might hold a cup of tea. So <laughs> this entire episode comes to you from me kind of... From teacup perspective. Teacup perspective, exactly. Mm -hmm. This is what you would hear if you were sitting in my teacup. About to be drunk. About. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome, listener. Listener, you're about to be drunk. Those about to be drunk, we salute you. It's terribly bad form to just quote other funnier media on one's own podcast. But I'm going to do it anyway because there's this line in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the first one. Yeah. Where they're about to take a jump into hyperspace and Ford Prefect says to Arthur Dent, careful, the sensation is unpleasantly like being drunk. Right. And Arthur Dent says, what's so unpleasant about being drunk? And Ford Prefect says, you ask a glass of water. <laughs> yes, and that was kind of a really good phrasing of a joke that I was kind of reaching for five minutes ago. So just go read some... God, what's his name? Some Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, if I'd let you say it, you'd have said John Adams or Brian Adams. Or... <laughs> yes, I would, have, I would have absolutely said Brian Wilson. And then we'd have worked our way back to Brian Adams. And then Adam Wilson, so it turns out is a roofer in Surrey, before eventually... <laughs> eventually landing on Terry Pratchett. Um, how about you? Have you enjoyed... Not enjoyed. Have you earned your tea break this month? Oh, I think I've earned my tea break. I'm in that kind of hectic preloading thing of realising that I'm going to have to be away from the studio for two or three weeks towards the end of the month mm -hmm. and that I've got to like preload all the buffers before so that I can do that. Right. I've boringly earned the tea break. <laughs> without without drama or to-do, you've just been quietly earning earning your tea break. Yeah. Well, fair, fair the heck enough. In a couple of months... I'll be all shiny and happy and say, well, over the last couple of months, I've been beavering away and I've got these 50 videos available for you. <laughs> Whereas at the moment, it's like, over the next couple of months, I'm going to be beavering away and feeling <laughs> about nothing coming out at the end of it yet. Oh, my God. But some things have been developing. Okay. Because, of course, earlier this month, on April the 3rd, we had the glitz and glamour of the 64th Grammy Awards. Yes, yes. <laughs> I have been resisting looking at the results. I was very, very curious. And also, with your commanding lead in our current Grammy sweepstakes. Which I plan on just developing. Mm. Honestly, what I'm hoping they did, especially after this long wait, mm. was just take every single one of the Grammy Awards and, like, duct-taped them together... <laughs> In a, in a big old ball, and someone took a sharpie and just wrote Doja Cat on the ball, and they rolled it. They rolled it down the auditorium mm. until it reached Doja Cat, and then everyone went home. No, no, no. They they, they yeah. spent the rest of the time checking in. How are you? 
you know, share a small <laughs> victory from this week. Yes. So that that sort of thing. Just a whole bunch of consolation prizes for the other people. <laughs> the roof opened and wooden spoons rained down <laughs> on Justin Bieber and Silk Sonic or whatever that unremarkable R&B number was. Well, it's funny you should mention Silk Sonic. Oh, no. No. Can we edit out the bit where I just called it an unremarkable R&B something? I feel like I'm about to be. Because unfortunately, for both of us and our opinions of Silk Sonic, no. it won both Record of the Year and Song of the Year. No way. Did it actually? It certainly did. Why? Did they listen to the other songs? How did it win both? And Best R&B Song, and also tied for Best R&B performance with Jasmine Sullivan. Okay, well, I'm sure Jasmine's wonderful. Yes. But, I mean, how depressing is this? Pretty darn depressing. Four Grammys. The problem is, is it's the precedent of it. Mm. I can just imagine record company executives the world over just drooling at the thought of getting every artist on their roster to do a tribute act. Yes. Oh, it's just so hideous. Yeah. Well, to be honest, it feels like the natural development almost of... The Red Hot Chili Peppers have a new album out. Yeah. I saw a poster on the tube yesterday. Yeah. On the right-hand side was a, with special guests, and then a really long list. Oh. And I saw Anderson Pack on there. Like, we love Anderson Pack. We do. Great. I'm sure it's good, but it's, you know, having decried on this podcast the death of the band as an entity. Yeah. It was kind of sad that of all groups, the Red Hot Chili Peppers... <laughs> was releasing a new album of Red Hot Chili Peppers music. And by the looks of it, more than half the tracks are going to be feet. Yes. You know, someone. They're doing a Tony Bennett. Yes, exactly. Well, they're about his age, so that's fair enough. I would be frightened to say that within earshot of any of these intimidating humans and wonderful musicians. But yes, they're just a whole (laughs) bunch of Tony Bennett's. I'll say it on this podcast, which I'm 70% sure they don't listen to. Behind the anonymity Um, of the podcast host. There you go, hiding behind this, this lovely, quite large microphone. Yeah. Oh, God, I feel old, but it would be great to just have an <laughs> yes. album of Red Hot Chili Peppers music. Yeah. Is that is that a terrible thing to want? I don't know. Um, And as I say, yeah, so it feels like a development of that, that every song needs to be feet someone else, because then you get two fan bases coming to a song, and why, why on earth not? Well, yeah, I mean, well, that's obviously the thinking. But also, it's that depressing thing that you get with those Hollywood remakes and with the jukebox musicals. It's like saying, no, we're not willing to take a risk on something that is actually new Mm. we're only gonna ever do something derivative because it guarantees a bankable nostalgia vote i think jukebox musical is a perfect parallel and they they seem to be possibly dying a death at least on the west end i have no idea about broadway yeah you know they're still very much present their bloated corpse kind of dominates the landscape right but there just hasn't been a big new one in a few years but what about the Alanis Morissette musical Jagged Little Pill absolutely but that 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 came out three (laughs) or four years ago didn't it maybe I mean when did we do the Tony Awards thing I mean it hoovered up a whole bunch of Tony Awards a couple of years ago it did damn fine and maybe that's like a triumphant last hurrah because I I do hear very good things actually about the Alanis Morissette I haven't seen (laughs) About Jagged Little Phil. Oh, let me guess, Um, let me guess. You've been hearing that it's a feel-good evening for all the family. (laughs) (laughs) It would be the most kind of fitting irony, wouldn't it? Oh, my word. (laughs) You could actually have ironic meaning something. Right. It's like Happy Village by Alanis (laughs) Morissette. (laughs) 
So, sadly, it is 0 for 2 <laughs> for both of us on Record of the Year and Song of the Year. So we got knocked down a peg by both those categories. So we move on to Album of the Year. Okay, okay. And what were the flags in the ground on this one? Well, what was your choice? Was... I think I know what it was, because it was your choice for everything, I think. <laughs> oh, I know. Of course it was. It was Doja Cat. And I went with my heart and voted John Batiste and thought that probably it would go to Doja Cat or someone else. <laughs> and it went to John Batiste. <gasps> no! Oh, really? Yes. He won Album of the Year. Oh. And he won four other Grammys. Oh, my word. Best American Roots performance, Best American Roots song, Best music video, and Best score soundtrack for visual media for his work on Soul. Okay. Congratulations, John. I am just glad that us, Johns without an H, are finally getting some of the recognition we deserve. And as Mm. a proud member of this, dare I say it, multi-Grammy Award winning community... I look forward to how this advances my own career. Four Grammys, that's really quite something. And you, see, this is extra galling for me because you beat me by following your heart. I know. There's not really much I can do there. You see, you should stay true to yourself, John. Don't sell out. (laughs) I did. I did, and I professed my love for Doja Cat, and now Mike's beating me at a game. Yes. I'm going to be cold and calculating from now on. Well, let's not get too worried straight away because there is one remaining category. There is indeed. Which is Best New Artist. And you went with your heart there, I seem to remember, and voted Aru Javtab. Absolutely. And I sold out by admitting that Aru Javtab was the most exciting artist, but going for Olivia Rodrigo. Oh, tired. Empty, grey, Olivia. Yeah. But, 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 but what we have learnt is that this year the Grammy Academy are following their hearts. And so tired, unoriginal, Grammy winning Olivia Rodrigo oh, is. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Makes another point on Mike's scorecard. Mike, how did you do it? <laughs> Getting best new artist, best pop vocal album, and best pop solo performance. Oh, wow. So she got three. So not only did you win, but you actually won all the points that we won. <laughs> The Project Studio allowance of Grammy points are 100% in your pocket. Sadly, there was no crumb of comfort from the Grammy committee. So I'm now on the wiki. Just not, not, not because I'm not accusing you of lying about who won to give yourself a clean sheet victory. No, 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 no. Well, of course. That's not me. That's not you. That's not our relationship. Honesty is our watchword. Trust and verify. And yeah, I knew there would be less Doja Cat than I wanted, but there's just not very much Doja Cat at all. Aruj Avtab did win Best Global Music Performance, though, which I'd hoped. I'd miss that. That is very, very good to see. Another big winner, talking about bands, Yes, yes. was uh, the Foo Fighters. Oh, what did they come away with? Best Rock Performance, Best Rock Song and Best Rock Album. Yes, yes, yes. But I assume you heard the sad news about their drummer's passing. I didn't. No, I'd miss that. Unfortunately, yeah, their drummer died in uh, kind of his 50s. Okay. They cancelled all their tours and everything like that, so uh, yeah. Bit of a lead balloon on on top of that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Well, their music is being recognised. And my God, what an amazing band to have been around for. For me, it's definitely one of those bands that I am really grateful that I was about the right age for at the right time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you scanned any of the other winners, but there were some repeat offenders again at this year's Grammys, as there always seem to be. Some people who come back and you go, oh, it's them again. Yeah. Have you ever heard of C.C. Winans? I have never heard of C.C. Winans. No, should I? Well, only her 15 Grammy wins from 28 nominations. Oh my god, that's not 
not bad. She's a gospel artist. Okay. She won Best Gospel Album. She won uh, Best Contemporary Christian Music Performance slash Song and Best Gospel Performance slash Song. Mm. And the Best Gospel Performance one, she's won four times before. That is an insane win record. Where do you put that many Grammys? Presumably she has a mansion with a mantelpiece long enough. <laughs> yes. You know what I am going to do when I have 15 Grammys? Okay, what are you going to do? I'm going to try and be that sort of... That that wonderfully English way of appearing to be understated and therefore just boasting even more. <laughs> yes. As I'm sure you've come across people keeping their most prized possessions in the toilet. Yes. Therefore ostensibly saying, well, I don't much care about these, but as someone once pointed out to me, putting everything in the one room that you're absolutely certain every guest will visit at some point. <laughs> and also have to stop and wait and appreciate them. There you go. <laughs> you can't just walk by the Grammys. If I put my, my doctorate in the sitting room, then they might be distracted by chatting and things. But no. Yes. In there, it will be properly appreciated. When I have 15 Grammys, yes. I think what I will do is I will just display one of them, a single one, you know, middle of the mantelpiece. Yeah. And then have cast in some precious metal or other the letters ETC. <laughs> And I was, pop that next I was to almost it. there. I was almost there. I was thinking actually have cast in bronze a little asterisk. Oh, that's quite nice as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like other awards available kind of thing. <laughs> the thing I wonder about the Grammy Awards mm. is that they're all those little RCA Victor style horn. I mean, I'd kind of like to turn them into music boxes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so they played something out of the horn. Well, they should surely play a music box version of whatever song they are honouring. That would be amazing. That's what they should do. And you know what? I'm sorry. I, this is this is such a good idea. I'm, I'm going to harp a bit. <laughs> that would both be incredible and incredibly easy. There's a big base. You can get custom music boxes. It would... Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Okay. There are some small issues in this otherwise perfect idea. I mean, I have trouble imagining them, to be fair. I but... know, I'm, me too, which is why I got all excited. <laughs> but then they've started to trickle in. For example, if you're awarding a real ambient New Age track, <laughs> how do you take a bit of that? And or what do you replace those small metal tines with just to create the experience of a 10-minute washy drone? Oh, oh, I see. Which doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. What would a New Age music box be like? Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't have tines. You'd just have a, a kind of a wobble board in there and the pins would strike the wobble board <laughs> at different places. Or a plate reverb. Just a single plate <laughs> reverb. I think a New Age music box is wind chimes. That's true. We're just describing wind chimes. That's true, you're right. So maybe some would just have little wind chimes in. But I'm also wondering if it's honouring a rap track that just kind of goes over quite a melodyless beat. Mm. And I don't know if you're going to put tiny little drums in the bass. You know, there's nothing to say you couldn't put a bit of electronics in that little plinth and then just have a little speaker that plays out of the horn. You see, it's weird. I'm on the opposite side of that idea. I would go to bat. I will spend the rest of my life campaigning for your analog music box idea. But when you talk <laughs> about adding electronics, what you're talking about is making it into one of those novelty birthday cards. It's absolutely that. And that, for me, is the... Uh, antithesis of a wonderful <laughs> idea, which is about as nicely as I can put it. I mean, there'd have to be some way to trigger it to play, wouldn't there? And then I'd just love the fact that when they were trying to do those shots of someone who's won eight Grammys and they're cradling this bundle of Grammys and then all these things would have been triggering off. Oh, my God. Just like that concept. That would be amazing. The Charles Ives in me. So what would be the way of, of putting it up? I mean, ideally, it would be something that would be difficult not to do. Yeah, like squeezing the plinth. Any human contact on it. Or just a gyroscopic thing, whenever it moved. Because then not only do you have a fun novelty you actually have
have an anti-theft device as well. And if anyone tries to nick your Grammy... Yeah, it's like, um, yeah, security, security, we've, we've just had a, a Grammy theft on the floor. Just follow the sound of Doja Cat's Kiss Me More. <laughs> All agents follow the Kiss Me More. And then the agents specifically tasked to protect this would have to have encyclopedic knowledge of every single one of the nominees. Well, they'd have to be briefed beforehand. I love this. More jobs for musicians, I would say. <laughs> Particularly musicians who have trained as professional wrestlers to put themselves <laughs> in the position of... <laughs> an, an underemployed demographic, if ever I've heard one. Mm. But we are legion, or I am legion. It's just me. <laughs> Hire me for well-paid jobs. There were other repeat offenders. Oh, yeah? We had Chris Stapleton. What did Mrs. Stapleton do this time? He won Best Country Album, Best Country Song, and Best Country Solo Performance. Oh, wow. And he did exactly the same sweep in 2018. <gasps> oh, my <laughs> word. That's not bad. Esperanza Spaulding also mm-hmm. won Best Jazz Vocal Album for Songwrites Apothecary Lab. Uh, and she won it in 2020 with 12 Little Spells and in 2013 for Radio Music Society. I get so conflicted hearing about these sort of repeat sweeps mm. because on the one hand, I think, wow, it's amazing that really exceptional talent is being kind of found and buoyed up. But then another bit of me feels a similar way about when, you know, presidential nominees keep having the same last name. <laughs> and it's a question of, is it more likely to be the case that the very best person in the world at this keeps being the same person because they are such an exceptional talent yes conceivable certainly but is that more likely but also what does it mean to that person to get another grammy as opposed to someone else Mm. to get their first oh absolutely do you think they could implement a no repeat grammys rule um or a kind of a time window (laughs) a cool down period (laughs) after your grammy yeah i don't know i feel like partly there's there's a rush to talking about repeat winners and like clean sweeps Mm. but i just can't escape the feeling that maybe the most likely thing that's happening is that the global music community is actually quite insular oh certainly especially at the top levels now as much as we may be a little bit ground down by the concept of people just winning grammys again and again there was a newcomer in the grammys lineup this year who i know will delight you Uh uh-huh i'm less convinced it is a grammy category Best song written for visual media that has given us Let It Go from Frozen. I mean... How Far I'll Go from Moana. Can't Stop the Feeling from Trolls. (laughs) No Time to Die and Skyfall from the Bond films. And two songs from A Star Is Born, Shallow and I'll Never Lose Again. All right. Wait, how did A Star Is Born win twice? I don't know how that worked. No, that seems odd, doesn't it? I think it seems a bit weird, doesn't (laughs) it? Okay, well done them. So, any guesses who it might be? Gosh, well, I mean... Lin-Manuel Miranda and what's his name Robert Lopez of Let It Go and How Far I'll Go fame seem to have been having a great year so maybe well no it's a newcomer though oh of course first ever Grammy well certainly not that lot I can't imagine who's pulled this off it's Bo Burnham Oh, for the song All Eyes on Me from Inside. I am so glad. It was very cool. I may not have won our Grammys competition, but this is offering me some semblance of comfort from that. Go Bo Burnham. And to be honest, it's only fitting that his first taste of Grammy success should occur in a song that has the 1564 chord progression. (laughs) (laughs) And is so very bold about it as well. He has officially sold out. (laughs) (laughs) I think what's odd is that off that entire special of spectacular songs, the song that is being musically honoured is the one with just a long talky bit in the middle. Do you think this is a sign that we're going... <laughs> it is a long talking bit, isn't it? And I, I can only hope this means we're going back to that, I don't know, what I think of as a 70s, 80s country tradition. Oh. That instead of a middle eight, 
You just have the singer say, you know, sometimes, and then talk about love. <laughs> I mean, I think you're way past date there. I mean, oh, yeah. that's not 70s. I mean, that is, and then for act two. That's back in Elvis. Yeah, wait, so yeah, I'm way later than I should be. But you go back to the 30s, mm. and every Ink Spots song had Honey Child in the middle, didn't it? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'd cross the deepest river if I saw you there on the other side. <laughs> it's just too good. I love that sound. I just love the way he says, honey child, <laughs> which he always puts in there. Oh, here's a question. Can you think of a single female vocalist who does that? Taylor Swift. Wait, when? Give me a song and a timestamp. We're never ever getting back together. The whole middle eight is a spoken telephone conversation. It is a telephone conversation. And it's funny because I asked myself exactly the same question when I was doing the mixture review of that track. <laughs> <laughs> this was going to be my next question because that was, audience, that was not an edit. Mike genuinely had that that close to the top of his head <laughs> in the moment of asking. That was a very, very impressive pull. Okay, so well, it turns out that I'm late not only in identifying the origin of this pattern, but also in kind of heralding its revival. Indeed. It's been sneaking back in for a little bit now. Mm-hmm. If you could edit any song and pop one of those in, <laughs> what do you think you'd do? Oh, wow. I mean, my first thought, and remember, this has to be in the sleepy country style, Yeah, but it would be killing in the name of. <laughs> Just two-thirds of the way through that song, having earned, you know political inequity and social injustice. Oh, I would love that. That would be glorious. I think that would be good fun. Or something like Gangnam Style. (laughs) Whoop up Gangnam Style. Yes! (laughs) Or you could replace the existing rap of Wannabe. That is a pretty tired, boring rap. Well, here's the story from A to Z. But I mean, that guy. Honor child, here's the story. (laughs) Or, or maybe kind of Eminem's Godzilla. All oh, right. It's kind of absolutely crazy fast. But yes. Because, you know, obviously Eminem just goes faster and faster and faster. It could be refreshing. Yeah. Two thirds of the way through to have a sleepy country voice. <laughs> kind of take over for a moment. But you see, I can see what you're trying to do. Can you? I can read your mind here. Really? Okay. I can see you're trying to distract me from the important issue of forfeits. I don't, I don't recall that was ever discussed. Um, I, I, I would challenge anyone to provide audio evidence of the same. <clears throat> you know what's really scary? And maybe it's because I just spent a weekend in a Welsh field and haven't slept enough and am falling apart at the seams. Yes. I genuinely have no memory of what these forfeits are. So this is extra frightening for me. Well, it was stripping naked and... Uh, <laughs> oh, check. Just retcon the forfeits. <laughs> no, the forfeit was that you had to do a chorus of the record of the year in the style of one of the other nominees as nominated by the winner. Oh, we did very well. That's a very good forfeit. This is going to be a very tricky forfeit, but I'm actually very excited as well. It's tricky because it's Leave the Door Open was record of the year. Right, which is nothing but a genre. Yeah. But it has got a melody. It does, and it's got that kind of rather slippery harmony thing that they did at that kind of time in the 70s. Mm. And I would immediately have liked to have said Doja Cat, but if you listen to the Doja Cat song, the harmony is quite similar. So... 
you just add a beat to it and go, well, it's Doja Cat. So I think that's a bit too easy. I would download Leave the Door Open and pop like a heavy kick drum and, and some <laughs> synthy fiddlings. Yeah. And call the job a done and. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, I would also like to have said Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga, but oh. that will be a really heavy lift with the old horn samples, I think. <laughs> Step one would be spending three grand on big band sample libraries. And I wouldn't want to inflict any more ABBA, Justin Bieber or Brandy Carlisle on my worst enemy. <laughs> so I think we can eliminate those. I do appreciate the sentiment behind that, but there's one really frightening rock jutting out of the river. <laughs> and as you assure me that we're not steering towards all these other rocks, this particular rock looms ever larger. I don't think I could be quite as cruel as to say Olivia Rodrigo. Oh, thank God. Okay, okay. We swerved away at the very last minute because honestly, my biggest fear, I'm not sure I could do that without just being a bit mean. <laughs> I don't want to be mean. And kind of by the same token, a little bit, I actually like Billie Eilish and John Batiste too much, really, to let you loose on them. <laughs> I also like both of them too much to let me loose on them. <laughs> Gosh. Which basically means we've eliminated all but one. Yes, we have. And I can't think who we haven't cut out. So it looks as if we're going to be treated to a version of Leave the Door Open mm -hmm. by Lil Nas X. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Lil Nas X too much to inflict myself. Okay, we're going to find a way. <laughs> I'm building a compost heap this afternoon in case anyone was curious. Oh, excellent. And I'm going to do it with headphones on, re-listening to Montero, and uh, wondering what exact decisions I made earlier in life that brought me to this absurd <laughs> position. <laughs> As we head into the news this month, um, I have a question for you, John. Okay. How would you characterise your relationship with ribbon mics? I think of ribbon mics as something which would give me a warmer, more vintage, more interesting, more intimate sound, mm. slightly, mm. but would also require me to sell most of my organs <laughs> in order to kind of look at. And therefore, you know, it's a bit like a fancy kettle or, uh, <laughs> I don't know, a living butler. Yes. The question of would it be nice to have one is askable but completely academic. <laughs> that's, that's my relationship to the idea of ribbon mics. But do you have a sense of ribbon mics being fragile? Oh, my word. So this is the other thing. This is something I would need to sell all of my organs to get a solid look at. And if I looked at it too hard... <laughs> <laughs> then I'd essentially have a vintage paperweight. Have you actually seen the stuff that they make those ribbons out of? No, I haven't. It's apparently only about a couple of microns thick. Oh my God. Right? I, would, I wouldn't sing above a whisper if I even had the chance. I, I would just kind of whisper in the opposite direction out of fear of breaking <laughs> it. I once went to a Royer demo where the guy was explaining about ribbon mics and he brought some of the ribbon material with him, some little strips of it, okay. and handed them out. Oh, interesting. What was it like? It's like the thinnest cling film you've ever seen, but much more fragile. Mm -hmm. It's almost like ash 
little bits of ash. And if you just brush them, they kind of flake apart into bits. Oh, my word. It's almost like you can't even lift the thing without tearing it. And if you hold it next to your finger, it just kind of gets pulled by static to your finger and it sticks to it. It just kind of floats inwards. This is really weird. But yeah, so these ribbons are tremendously fragile things in their raw form. Mm. And the only way they make them strong enough to actually use in ribbon mics... Well, this is going to be my next question, yeah. ...is by corrugating them. In other words, creating a kind of a pattern of creases or pleats in them to give them extra strength. Interesting. And normally this is done, you know, a little bit like those kind of tractor tyres have that kind of cross-diagonal pattern. Yeah. They'll use a set of gear wheels to put the ribbon through to create that corrugated pattern. Or sometimes with the older ribbon mics, it will literally just be little horizontal corrugations the whole way down the length of the ribbon. So it looks like a, I don't know, concertina or something. And that gives it just enough structural strength. Yeah, that it's able to operate without tearing a little bit better. (laughs) Very, very slightly better. I mean, that corrugation makes it stronger, particularly in that horizontal plane, because that's the way the corrugations are working. Mm. It effectively increases the ribbon's length, so it increases the sensitivity of the mic, and also makes it easier to regulate the tension. Oh, interesting. But that technology has been around ever since ribbon mics really existed. Okay. And in fact, a way to think about the reason why this makes ribbons stronger is to think about, you know those flat pack metal shelves you can get? Broadly, yes. The uprights, the things that hold the shelves, are basically these kind of L-shaped profile, long bits of metal. Yes, absolutely. And the reason they're L-shaped is because that's one of the things that makes them not bend. Oh. That's what makes them stand up straight and hold their shape. It's because they're bent like that. Okay. And that's exactly the same principle that that they're using on a ribbon just in a different way. Okay, this makes sense. Now, what's fascinating about this is that ribbons for ages have had this reputation of being not that robust. To put it delicately. And the news this month is about a ribbon mic. And I want to just send you a video link. And then perhaps you can describe what happens during the first 30 seconds or so of this video. Now, before I load this up, just for context, is my other broad assumption about ribbon mics that there's not really such a thing in my head as a cheap ribbon mic? Is that broadly the case? There are cheap ribbon mics these days. Okay. In the last 10 years, cheap ribbon mics have become available because they're extremely simple technology. Right. But the classic ribbon mics and the classic ribbon mic designs, yes, they tend to be pricey, even if you get the modern reissues of the classic designs. Mm. But I have ribbon mics that cost me about 120 quid. Three of them, in fact. Okay, wow. Oh, and the other thing to say about them, actually, before you fire up the video, the other thing to say about ribbon mics is that, well, first of all, they're passive, so they don't need phantom power. Yeah. But there's also this advice that you're always given not, never to feed phantom power to a ribbon because it can break the ribbon. Right. L- like a stiff breeze. Yes. Or a bad vibe. <laughs> you know, some some people even said that if you had the mic in a room and slammed the door too hard, it could break the ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, this is very much part of my impression of them. Okay, so I've just loaded up a video called Durability of the Older H44 Ribbon Mic. And I, I don't know if they're going to show it next to a kind of slowly wilting flower and show off that it doesn't snap. <laughs> um, Something like that, yeah. Like that. Okay, here we go. A nice man in a linen shirt introducing the microphone. Okay, shocking it with phantom power, blowing into it in a way that makes me very uncomfortable. He's he's saying that he's going to drop it. Oh, God. Oh, my God. He just <laughs> dropped it. And it still sounds fine. <laughs> Now, you see, that is exactly the reaction I think anyone who has ever used a river mic would have. Their heart would leap into their throat at the sight of him lifting it up a couple of feet above a desk surface and dropping it on its head. Yes, it absolutely <laughs> did. But even just the fact that he's blowing directly into the mic and doing big plosives and stuff from about, 
what, six inches away? Oh, no, yeah, that was really something. And you get that same kind of rumble out of it that you expect out of a dynamic mic, an ordinary dynamic mic. Yeah, so what on earth have they done? Have they just used scotch tape instead or something? Well, this is what's fascinating about it. It's one of these technologies you think, why the hell didn't anyone work this out before? Hmm. But this guy just brought the mindset of a kind of a structural engineer to the way the ribbon is corrugated. So instead of using the old kind of standard corrugation method, he's developed a new corrugation method he calls the herringbone corrugation. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get a pleat down the middle of the ribbon, which gives it stiffness in one dimension. And then you get small back and forth undulations in a kind of V-shape pattern on either side of that central pleat. And that gives it a horizontal rigidity. And so it just gives it a lot more stiffness than a traditional, like, ordinary corrugated ribbon. And enough that it is much more robust. Well, clearly, yeah. I mean, I've not tried it myself, but seeing that demonstration and seeing some of the recording things where there's, like, a vocalist singing and doing pops and stuff four inches away from the microphone and it being fine. Right. Makes me think, yeah. Yeah. There's also another great video demonstration from the manufacturer where you can actually see him using a fan to stress his herringbone ribbon and a traditionally crimped ribbon side by side. Mm -hmm. And it really is remarkable how much stiffer the herringbone corrugation is. That's fascinating. I mean, there are still things he admits that, you know, it won't do. You know, you shouldn't stick it in front of a kick drum vent, which of course sends massive blasts of air out and stuff. I was going to say a proper blast of air moving in that direction. Now, of course, it's pioneering new corrugation technology. So what do you reckon this is retailing at? I'm going to try and be a bit savvy about this because I feel like if I developed this cool new technology, I'd kind of want to get it out there. Mm. You know, I'd quite like to get people using it. And then maybe in five years later, I release the deluxe once the kind of theory is sound Okay, for a bit more. But I think for this first piece, I would try and get it in... 900 It's retailing at $400. Oh, oh, what a beautiful thing to hear. <laughs> I mean, how tempting is that? I mean, $400, that's the price of an SM7. That's really quite something. For a super robust ribbon mic. And what's more, yeah. he's so confident about the structural integrity of the thing yeah. that the current policy is to repair broken ribbons at cost. <gasps> In other words, if you break the ribbon, you can repair it for $20. That's incredible. That's super cool, isn't it? That is just amazing. And the other thing is, if you looked at the demo of him with the hairdryer blowing the two ribbons, yeah. the crimping of the herringbone one honestly looks a little bit homebrew. Mm. And I just think he's opened Pandora's box here mm. by just pointing out something that clearly has just been a complete blind spot yeah. up to now. I can see what you mean. And it wouldn't at all surprise me now if other mic manufacturers go, bloody hell, what were we doing? And they actually put some serious industrial design and R&D behind it and find some even better corrugation methods. Mm. I mean, he's applied for a patent for it, but, you know, they could patent a different type of corrugation. Mm. So this actually makes me very optimistic for the more widespread adoption of ribbons. Not only because you can create them at low cost, but also just because they can suddenly be robust. They can be actually almost a viable live microphone. And certainly a much more straight-ahead choice is a studio microphone. I mean, I use ribbons for recording anyway, and I find them really useful. And I think it would be great if this technology further democratizes the use of ribbon mics because they have some really great characteristics to them. So I'm, I was very excited about this. Yeah. And it's so weird that such a basic bit of engineering should have been ignored for so long. It's like that acoustic screw we were talking about um, a few episodes 
Jones again. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm still dining out on that story. It's wonderful. So I think this is a definitely positive development in terms of rubber mics. So I think, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out, not only from them, but also from all the other mic manufacturers who I expect are all in the process of kind of waking up and going, whoa, <laughs> we have something to catch up with. Someone fetch me some origami paper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, i got a question for you. How long would you say you have been working in music? Wow, have I ever worked in music? <laughs> um, <laughs> Not how long has your music been working? Oh, all right. That's a much more difficult question, which changes moment to moment. How long have I actually been doing work while saying I'm a musician? That, yeah, that seems like a fair definition. Well, you know, actually, I could say from the age of eight. <laughs> okay, moment of confusion, but I actually know this about you. This is a, a cathedral choir, yeah? Yep. There you go. The most popular form of of church-sponsored child labour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like musical theatre. It's eight shows a week. Goodness, I mean, that is a severe schedule. <laughs> We'd be singing services every day except Wednesday and three services on Sunday. The weird thing is, though, so I'm a, I'm a bit of a crusty leftist myself, especially in terms of labour rights. No. I know, I know. Shock and horror. <laughs> um, but cathedral choirs are a proper blind spot for me <laughs> because you hear about this kind of genuinely exploitative labour practice and I just say, yeah, but they're sight reading. Oh, their intuitive musicianship. It's so useful. I mean, if you have the chance to work with an ex-cathedral singer, there's just like, yes. and it's not a, a standard I apply to any other child workforce. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, look how fabulously this child labourer can solder now that they're in their teens. You, know, <laughs> yes, you don't yes, think yes, about that, look. do you? <laughs> <laughs> That's not considered a, a valid argument. Look at the quality of that needlework. <laughs> you know. Well, okay, there is absolutely another one. I totally get where you're coming from on this because it was such a weird childhood, and yet the outcome of it has given me so many skills that are like superpowers in some respects. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And just experience as well, you know, just knowing pretty much the entire canon of church music by the time I left the school at 13. And knowing about ensemble leading and conducting, like there's all these peripheral skills yeah can you remember how much you got paid uh 350 quid per year for my entire career i shudder to ask how long was your career basically five years from the age of eight to 13 oh my word. but the thing <laughs> that you have to factor into it though oh first of all that it's 350 quid back in like late 80s prices mm. secondly what i also got for it was a private top class music education effectively yep which, you know, super worth it. The idea of eight-year-old children having to enter the workforce to fund a decent education for themselves. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that's something that you could chew on. Yeah, um, yeah. But as you say, no denying the benefit. Which, okay, this actually leads me very nicely into what I want to talk about and my, my face palm this month. Child labour, okay. Child labour. <laughs> Turns out I've been running child labour camps. I haven't, to my knowledge. Because you've got a wonderful example there of being horrendously underpaid as a as a musician. Yes. And, you know, as with freelance musicians everywhere, I, I to some extent, am my own accountant and have come across every version of payments being mismanaged, from them just being months and months overdue, mm. for them being sent to the wrong musician, yes. sent to a wrong account, uh, not sent at all. Oh, yeah. Sent half the amount that was previously agreed. Paid in dollars rather than pounds. Yeah. Oh, just like... It's one of my favourites. <laughs> given to me on one occasion in an envelope in mixed currency. <laughs> there was some dollars and some euros in there. Great. 
I was more shocked than offended and I took the time to actually do the math on my phone and it was the amount of money I had been promised. <laughs> just, you just felt that it had come out of that charity collection box at Heathrow? <laughs> exactly. It was just handfuls of, of fiat generally. So, Do you think they did a whip round amongst the cast and crew or something? <laughs> Maybe that was it. They just put a hat out. So I was excited this year, albeit dismayed, to come across a brand new way of being mispaid. <laughs> to add to the the litany, since we're talking in ecclesiastical terms. I would be so curious to know if this is one that you have ever suffered. Right. But I was... Tragically and regrettably, significantly overpaid. Wow. For the first time in 15 years. Shh. <laughs> well, I would have done. Yeah. I didn't even notice. As I have broadly alluded to, I am my own accountant and I would fire me given half a chance. <laughs> I mean, these books are not well kept. They are not well administrated. And I found out in January, this is actually for a job in October, Yeah, that I've been paid more than three times the amount that I should have done by this fairly established corporate entity. Okay. So I was not taking food out of mouths per se. Yeah, you were feeling that you were the beneficiary of a victimless crime. Very much so. Possibly like knocking a piece of caviar off a silver platter, but I feel less bad about that. Yes. I was made aware of this by an email from them saying, you know, in slightly rude terms, we think you have some of our money. Give it back. Oh. You know, failure to etc. will result in excommunication and transport to Botany Bay. Sue, grab it and run, sending you a rude letter. Yes, there you go. And I thought to myself, well, gosh, this is a bit out of line. So you spoke to your accountant. So I, I spoke to my accountant, who was asleep at that point, <laughs> shoveled him out of bed. And, you know, felt a little bit bolshy, actually, to be honest. Yeah. You know, they, they made a clerical error and overpaid me. They don't get to be all coming to me being all upset about it. Yeah, I share your view on that one. Right? So I, I did a bit of digging. Was that part of the project, or are you talking figuratively? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've done previous projects that have involved you being buried in things, so I, I mean, I didn't want to assume. For those of you who don't listen as religiously, as you obviously should, um, I was half buried in a forest for a weird art video a while ago, mm. and a videographer who's working on a music video for a Whitten Williams track, which is coming out in a couple of tracks' time, Ooh. had seen that, and so, long story short, I'm doing it again in a week um, <laughs> I, apparently my brand now is buried up to my neck in forest litter you're basically a kind of an inverse Lazarus you're getting buried <laughs> yes, again exactly and on the third day he went back down yeah. into the earth and had discovered once again that being without clothes surrounded by soil is one of the coldest things in the entire world yes but we'll hopefully remember to bring like a hot thermos of tea this time yes all of which is to say a big part of me wanted to keep this money yeah well, or at least, you know, charge them an administration fee yes. for the trouble it took me to read this letter. Yeah. And luckily, I received some very good advice, not from my accountant, still useless accountant, <laughs> but from one of the people I asked, yeah. who said, I hear your frustration, I hear your anger. Yes. Before you invest any further in this, do just go back and check your invoice. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so it turns out the accountant who'd been like, you know, cheering me on and, and stoking the fire of this righteous outrage. Indignation, yes. Indignation, absolutely. You were coming down from Mount Sinai with the tablets, mm. ready to smite the unbelievers asunder. Mike, I was Jesus in the temple. Oh, right. Yeah, I was whipping and flipping tables on these unholy moneylenders. <laughs> and I'd mistyped the amount they owed me. And I had, I guess, committed fraud. Accidentally, admittedly, but yeah, I, I had yes. told them they owed me a lot more money than 
than they did <laughs> and then they had paid it. And so never has my whole body done more of a jolting whiplash inducing U-turn <laughs> as I bashed out a very apologetic email. <laughs> <laughs> that moment of, it's almost like cold sweat, but of relief. That thought of how close you were. How bad that could have got. Yes. Whatever it was. I seriously considered in the email to them blaming my accountant. Um, because I do think of him as a useless employee of mine. But resisted in the end. I was reading an article about pop stars who had since fallen out of favour and what they were doing now. Mm. I can't remember who it was. I think it was one of the people from So Solid Crew. Okay. Who at one point after their kind of candle sputtered out was ringing round places pretending to be her own personal assistant okay asking them whether they wanted to book her for a personal appearance oh wow <laughs> yeah just a cracker oh that, that can't feel great can it no i'm gonna make that decision going around although i'm sure i've shared with you in the past i have two kind of really really excellent string player friends yes who are each other's agents on a non-official basis oh that's wonderful it's brilliant so they, they don't do actually any of the work of an agent but they're just there as the phone so that someone can give them someone else's number who can say Ah, yes, yes, um, yeah, my client wants so-and-so. Exactly. So when they want something, but they don't want to sour a relationship, they just have the agent phone up and say, ah, yes, they'll need this, this, and this. And they can be as bullshit as they like about it because everyone knows agents are bullshit. That's literally their job. And then these string players can still arrive at their gigs. And be the good guy. Yeah, and be absolutely can be on great terms with everyone. Not oh. have had a screaming match about the un kind of the insufficient level of accommodation being provided on the tour. That is perfect. It's such a good system. I mean, honestly, there should be a version of Bumble that is designed to twin musicians up like that. <laughs> I mean, why does that app not exist? So yeah, this is my this is my entirely administrative, entirely unartistic <laughs> face palm. But what a lesson to learn. I mean, you know, sometimes in these face palms we come out of the end in this bleak post-apocalyptic world of not having learned anything and being none the wiser. But you have basically been given a gem of life learning that has saved you from social catastrophe. So, I mean, we have to call it a win. I think so. I think it's an eventual win. Definite win. Let's, let's coin humiliating victory <laughs> to, to, to describe this sort of event. Yeah, yeah. You came out on top, but you realised that you probably shouldn't have gone in in the first place. Which means it's time for a jam, and what would a jam be without a healthy bit of toast? It would just be a mess. <laughs> it would be more scrubbing than you want to do at breakfast time. Yes, I think so. So, with less ado or faff than regular, um, I give you this month's Toast Foley. Oh, that's got some bite to it, that does. Right, well, you're being very... I think you might have toasted it a bit too long. It seems a bit... You know how it gets a bit like plywood when you've really toasted it a bit too long. The truth is, though, the reason that sounds quite so unlike toast is because it is, in fact, my German residency card. Oh! Which I am so very, very excited to now have. That's fabulous if you only just got it. Yeah, 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 it's just newly received. Oh, wonderful. And I look like a convicted pirate who no one wants to share a jail cell with, but not out of fear, it's more just a creepiness thing. Yes. It's not a great photo, but I don't care, because this means that I can live and work in Germany for a fair few more years. Fabulous. And yeah, just feeling very excited about that. Hence the poor toast folio. But I mean, well, that theme of excitement is very much the theme of this month's jam. 
<laughs> I was so excited about my jam choice for this month that I couldn't even wait until doing an episode to send you a link to it. Okay, yeah. So you'll know what I'm talking about here already. Now, to give listeners a bit of backstory here, I've been following the Grammys now regularly because I write mixed review and I follow the Grammys for that for pretty close to a decade now. And one of the great things about the Grammys is that once you get past the very surface level of the top four awards and start drilling down into all the weird categories that are around in the kind of the background, every year something pops up that is just incredible and that you would never have found in any other way, or I would never have found in any any other way because I don't listen widely in those areas. Yeah, I mean, things like the Goat Rodeo record, um, Kirk Franklin, Love Theory, that was great, Punch Brothers, Chris Stapleton. I mean, this year it was like Arouge Aftab and Sierra Hull last year. Yeah. But this year, there was another fabulous record that I only discovered because it won a Bluegrass Grammy, Mm. which was Bella Fleck's latest record. He's a legendary banjo player and one of these, this wave of new bluegrass people who are doing these incredible modern music styles coming from a bluegrass background. Yeah, Bella Fleck is is a pillar. And right from the opening track of the record, it's a track called Vertigo, which is the one that just blew me away. Mm. It's not only doing some like weird kind of tritone key change things Mm. but the best thing is the rhythm it's one of those tracks that you think oh this sounds a bit like blue cross i'm sure i can just nod my head and tap my foot along that and i challenge you (laughs) to do that i mean like for mixed review i actually dissected the whole thing and worked out exactly where all the time signatures were going and stuff and it's going like five eight three four, and then Ooh. to four four, and then it's doing various stuff on the on the boundary between additive and divisive rhythm. Oh wow! And even when I know exactly the map of it, just conducting along to try and stay in time with them, it's a brain task. Yep. It's actually such fun just <laughs> trying to tap your foot along to it when you actually know what it is. It's like if you learned how to do some kind of stunt on your skateboard. Mm. You know, that satisfaction you get from being able to do it and not sure whether you're going to be able to do it every time. You know? Yeah, that right on the edge of possible thing. I completely know. But even though that track on the album is brilliant and exhilarating to listen to, my jam isn't the recorded version. Mm. It's a version he then did live at the Rocky Grass Festival where the mandolinist and the fiddle player were replaced by Sierra Hull and by Michael Cleveland, <laughs> who again are these two absolutely towering artists in their own right. Titans. Well, I mean, literally towering with Michael Cleveland. His last record was called Tall Fiddler. And I think, <laughs> even better, I think Michael Cleveland is playing his five-string fiddle on the live version. <gasps> oh, once I'm getting up the video because... It's basically, I think, a cross between the viola and the violin. So it's got just the low C from the viola? I think so, yes. You're right. So I'm on the video. It is indeed a five-string fiddle. It's difficult enough just tapping your foot along with it. And then you get these musicians who stand there on stage and play it tight as a duck's <laughs> and they make it look so easy. It's like, oh, we're just met round here for a little family hoedown and yeah. oh, we're just kind of laughing good-naturedly about that nice little lick that the guy just did when he was going through 5-8 on the way to 3-4 and then going back into... You know, it's that transcendence. I mean, there's whole, like, modal sections of stuff going on in addition to the whole yeah. rhythmic stuff. It's the best type of creative madness that makes sense. That is so well put. So I've listened to this track a couple of times and I actually have the video playing right now with the sound off they could be jamming on three blind mice there's nothing to imply in their mannerisms that they are struggling yes they're not they're just making music in like what for them is an intuitive friction-free way 
It's wonderful and it's completely absurd. Oh, that's such a good way of expressing it. It's not just that they managed to play a solo that sounds convincing over this thing, but it's that it's a really good solo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, a solo that you would be proud of, even if it were over one chord in 4-4, you yes, know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the kind of gentle grins to each other as they go. Sierra Hull and Michael Cleveland, I don't think are the regular band members or anything either. So at some point, they, amongst their busy career, you know, doing their own music and all the things they do, because they're super busy, they said, oh, I'll just pick up this little five eight three four 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 thing. Yeah, I can do that. It would be impressive and wonderful if what they were sent was a score from Bellaflex transcriber mm. and you know studied it and learnt it and memorised it but there's a bit of me that believes that it was more that they were sent the recording and they listened to it with one earbud in when they were going through the airport yes and they listened to it two more times in the cab on the way to the festival just to make sure they remembered that tricky bit and then they got up on stage yeah it seems obvious to say it is really fast and to be playing semi-quavers at that speed and looking relaxed about it. Yes. That's really impressive. And also to be playing at that speed and to be hitting, I, I checked back and forth in the video, exactly the same tempo at the beginning and at the end. Oh, wow. Is incredible to not kind of get excited and carried away. Yeah. The chops on these people is absurd. They're often doubling each other and they all agree on the notes. So it's not like they're just kind of riffing away. <laughs> they might as well be the recording we're listening to. I wouldn't be surprised if that made it to a live album. It's also really refreshing to hear something with a clear harmonic content, with really inventive use of chords, and then playing, which actually goes around the harmony. You know, you're not just sitting in the chord. Mm. Brian Sutton, at the end of his solo, before he hits the top again, he just puts the like the last three bars of the tune into the chord that he's going to land in. Yeah. And it's completely out with what's happening because there's that big modulation to the top. But it's so <laughs> satisfying. Yeah, because it's got like a tritone modulation. He's just like banging a very confident tune in that key and then landing it when the tune catches up to him. It's, it's like, catch up, guys, catch up, catch up. <laughs> there you go. And everyone else goes, oh, no, we've still got a way to go. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not moving. Yeah, I'm comfortable. Here. It's like a musical game of chicken, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Which sadly brings us to the end of another feature-packed episode. And there's still fortunately time to thank our sponsor for this month, Equal Weight Instruments, <laughs> who have just brought out their latest model. They are a company on a campaign to try and increase the creative use of instruments by helping musicians to avoid the generic things that are the easiest things to do on an instrument. Admirable. And their new keyboard controller has addressed this well-known problem that it's so easy to play the white notes that everyone tends to play in C major, yeah. you know, A minor, F major. Happens. And just ignore the black notes. And, you know, D flat major is just not used as much. Underutilized. F sharp major. It's terrible. Their clever solution has been to change the physical layout of the keyboard. Okay. To make it that the black notes that so far have always had less of the real estate on the keyboard surface <laughs> get more. So we get bigger, <laughs> fatter, easier to play black keys. Mm -hmm. and the white keys then become slimmer <laughs> and harder to press. 
If we have any, like, visually-minded listeners who fancy, like, making this a visual reality, I, I'm trying in my head. And what I've got is very funny. <laughs> well, at least I'm enjoying it hugely. But I, I want—I would love to see it on paper. Um, so that's a, or, or, obviously, you could just go to the manufacturer's website yes. and, and watch some of their demo videos. And, indeed, browse their, their existing product line, which includes the violin where the highest notes are in first position. There's a saxophone. <laughs> Where the, the cleanest notes are the hardest ones to play. Good, that, that's what saxophone music needs. <laughs> and the electric guitars, where barring is next to impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And of course, the, the, the electric guitar, where just each of the strings is a solid two inches away from the next string. So you really do have to be quite melodically minded. Or where the fretboard for the top string only goes up half the way. Oh, oh can you imagine how frustrating? So they can't finish every solo at the very top of the guitar's range. <laughs> no. Yeah, so uh, many, many thanks to Equal Weight Instruments for sponsoring the show. Um, if you too would like to support our proud independent podcasting efforts, do head over to patreon.com slash Break, where there are, as usual, our bi-weekly extras. We've had dressed crab for breakfast. We've had our <laughs> Grammy tiebreakers. We have carry-on Siegfried and an exciting new segment, Stuff John Wants to Say. Oh, dear. Now, this was recorded with my knowledge and consent. That doesn't make it better. I say the silliest things when I know people are listening <laughs> it's the benefit of not having secrets well and if you would like to hear more of our you know, esoteric unclear ramblings or share yours with us we are on facebook at facebook.com forward slash pstb books and twitter at twitter.com forward slash pstb tweets or you can email us at tbreak at projectstudiotbreak.com john do you have anything to plug for our lovely listeners this month uh, golly and gosh no i'm about to go to gibraltar and try to learn how to sail so Fabulous. if you have any life rafts water wings or dinghies then please just tweet them at me um, they will be much needed I'm very bad at not falling in the water oh right um, how about you Mike yeah we're a plug free zone yeah I'm just so busy <laughs> trying to sort stuff out I'm not really developing anything new much at the moment I'm just kind of desperately trying to keep up with the normal treadmill so we're both plugging keeping on keeping on we're plugging you the listener for being a oh, proud supporter of the podcast that's nice yeah let's do that go check out yourself and all the cool things you're up to be sure to support yourself in the coming months <laughs> oh, this has turned out surprisingly wholesome. And on that note, good night, good luck, and ta-ra! Ta-ra! Ta-ra!